Welcome to The Dark Diaries, the podcast where the darkest stories shed the brightest light on our fears. In this episode, we delve into the life and crimes of Catherine Knight, exploring the gruesome details of her murders and the events that led up to them. Catherine Mary Knight, also known as the Black Knight, had a troubled childhood marked by physical and emotional abuse. Catherine Knight was born on October 24, 1955, in Tenderfield, New South Wales, Australia. Barbara Ruffin, her mother, had previously been married and had four children from her first marriage. Barbara's union with Ken Knight, her second husband, resulted in four more children, among them Catherine. Unfortunately, Knight's father was an alcoholic prone to violent outbursts, regularly assaulting his wife and children. His abusive behavior extended to physical attacks, such as hitting Knight's brother with a shovel, leading to a severe head injury. Growing up, Knight bore witness to her father's violent tendencies and was also a victim of physical and emotional abuse. When Knight was only six years old, a family member sexually assaulted her, adding to the trauma of her difficult upbringing. While her father was reported to be physically abusive, there is no record of him having sexually abused her. As a teenager, Knight's behavior grew increasingly erratic and violent, compounded by her illiteracy. She frequently engaged in physical altercations with both her peers and adults, and even wielded a knife against one of her teachers. One incident resulted in her first arrest after attacking her boyfriend with a frying pan. Dropping out of school at the age of 15, she found work at a clothing factory where her violent temper led to several run-ins with the law, including charges of shoplifting and assault. Eventually, Knight left her factory job and secured a position at a slaughterhouse, which she considered her dream job. Over several years, she became highly skilled in the use of knives and other cutting tools, honing her abilities through her work. Knight's teenage years and early adulthood were marked by numerous relationships, many of which were marred by violence and abuse. In 1973, she began a relationship with her co-worker David Kellett, whom she married a year later. However, their marriage was tumultuous, with Knight often resorting to violent outbursts. On their wedding night, Knight strangled Kellett after he fell asleep following sex. This was only the beginning of their troubled marriage, as Knight later hit him over the head with a frying pan when he came home late. In another particularly violent episode, a heavily pregnant knight burned all of Kellett's clothing and shoes before attacking him with a frying pan, causing a severe skull fracture. In 1976, Knight gave birth to her first child, Melissa N., but her husband Kellett was unable to tolerate her abusive behavior any longer and moved away. The following day, Knight flew into a fit of rage and violently thrashed her baby stroller from side to side. She was subsequently admitted to Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth, where she was diagnosed with postnatal depression. She was released two months later, but soon after, she attacked a neighbor with a knife after they refused to drive her to see her husband, leading to her being committed to Marisset Psychiatric Hospital. During her stay at the psychiatric hospital, Knight made threats to kill both her husband and his mother. When the police informed Kellett of the incident, he left his girlfriend and moved to Aberdeen with his mother to support Knight. 
After several months, Knight was eventually released in August of 1976 and reunited with Kellett and his mother. The three of them later relocated to Ipswich, and in 1980, Knight had another child. However, Knight eventually left Kellett in 1984 and moved back to her parents' house. In 1986, Knight met David Saunders, who was 38 years old at the time. They began a relationship, and Saunders eventually moved in with Knight. In 1988, they had a daughter together. However, their relationship was also characterized by violence. In 1987, Knight slit the throat of Saunders' two-month-old puppy and knocked him unconscious with a frying pan to scare him into not having an affair. Another argument ensued where Knight hit Saunders in the face with an iron and then stabbed him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. Saunders eventually moved back to his own apartment in Scone, and he took a leave of absence from work and went into hiding. Upon returning to see his daughter a few months later, Saunders discovered that Knight had obtained an apprehended violence order AVO, known as a restraining order in North America. Knight was able to persuade the police that she was the victim of abuse by Saunders. In addition to exhibiting violent behavior, Knight displayed manipulative tendencies and was able to convince her partners not to press charges, allowing her abusive actions to continue. In 1991, she became pregnant with a son named Eric by her former co-worker at the slaughterhouse, John Chillingworth, who was 43 years old at the time. Although they had a three-year relationship, Knight left Chillingworth for another man, John Price, whom she had been having an affair with. John Price was a man whom many of his friends describe upstanding citizen and hard worker. He worked with heavy machinery and had children from a previous marriage. Initially, the relationship was going well and did not follow the pattern of abuse like Knight's past relationships. They were romantic with each other and had an active sex life. However, when they moved in with each other in 1995, Knight suggested they get married which Price declined. This is when Knight got abusive. Over the next few years, it was constant bickering of Knight accusing Price of cheating, breaking up and reconciling until it reached a boiling point in year 2000. At this point Price wanted desperately to end the relationship, but was afraid Knight would hurt his kids. He even told his co-workers that he was afraid of Knight and should anything ever happen to him, it would be Knight that caused it. A month later, an argument broke out in which Knight attacked Price with a knife. This resulted in Price seeking an apprehended violence order. He was fearful for his kids' safety, but the order took time to grant. He still decided to go home that night so she would not target his kids. Price did his usual nighttime routine and went to bed. Knight arrived home a little while later and manages to convince Price to have sex even after she tried to stab him. Price then falls back asleep. A little later, Knight reaches for her butcher knife next to her bed. This was a habit that Knight did ever since she started working at a butcher shop, she always kept knives next to the bed. Note to all the men out there. Maybe don't date women who keeps knives next to their bed. Just a suggestion. On March 1st, John Price failed to report to work, causing his supervisor to recall Price's earlier warning that Knight might harm him. 
Consequently, the supervisor called the police to conduct a welfare check. Responding to the call were Constable Scott Matthews and Sergeant Graham Furlonger, who expected a routine check. Upon arrival, they found the front door locked, and when they received no response, they entered through the back door. However, they were oblivious to the fact that they were walking into one of the most gruesome crime scenes ever witnessed. The following is a narrative from Sergeant Furlonger and Constable Matthews. As we went in, I saw straight ahead what I thought was a curtain, explains Furlonger. There was something hanging, that was, blocking my entry into the house, adds Matthews. I thought it looked like some sort of blanket, or some sort of covering that had been placed up on the archway. At that point Constable Matthews tried to push the object aside and felt something cold, realized his arm was covered in blood. I realized then, says Furlonger, that it was in fact a human pelt. The skin, minus the head. A full skin just hanging from the top door frame. There was blood everywhere, recalls Furlonger. A line of blood down the hallway and out the kitchen door. And there was a pot on the stove. I think I might have even said to Scotty, I'll give you one guess where the head is. John Price's decapitated head had been cooked and left on his kitchen stove. Two plates, each containing a mixture of vegetables and human flesh, were set on the table with a note by each one bearing the name of one of Price's children, his son and youngest daughter. Although there were reports of a third plate, Catherine, who was known as the cannibal killer, stated she did not consume any of her Price's flesh. The officers were filled with horror as they combed through the rest of the house, attempting to suppress their shock. When they eventually entered the bedroom, they discovered Catherine soundly asleep on the bed, and scathed. It was apparent that she had attempted suicide by consuming a mixture of antidepressants and antihistamines. Following a complete recuperation, she was transferred to a psychiatric ward. Subsequently, on March 6, 2000, Catherine was charged with the murder of John Price. Later, it was disclosed that Price had suffered from 37 stab wounds before being skinned and decapitated. Moreover, his body had been mutilated, and his genitals had been removed. In October 2001, Catherine pleaded guilty during her trial, but she maintained that the only thing she could remember from that night was having consensual sex with Price, after which they both went to bed. She claimed that Price got up to use the bathroom and they went back to sleep. On November 8, 2001, the presiding judge was appalled by the savagery of the crime and sentenced Catherine to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Her records are marked as never to be released, and she is the first Australian woman to be given a life sentence. The murder of John Price was a senseless act of violence. It was an abhorrent and unacceptable crime that must be met with justice. What do you think, was justice served? Do you think Catherine was cannibalistic? The general consensus is yes, but she decided to block it out. Let us know in the comments. That concludes this episode of The Dark Diaries. We hope you enjoyed this segment about Australia's female Hannibal Lecter. Until next time, stay curious, stay brave, and stay a little dark.